In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. It's kind of hard to talk about Marlon Wayans without talking about his family. There's his older brother, Keenan Ivory Wayans, who created In Living Color, which is this groundbreaking sketch comedy series. Uh, who else was in that? Uh, Jamie Foxx, Jim Carrey, but also his sister, Kim Wayans, Sean Wayans, Damon Wayans, and Marlon Wayans. And then Marlon and his brother, Sean, write this movie called Scary Movie that makes $278 million against a $19 million budget. Also becomes this sort of generational comedy movie. Then he makes another generational comedy movie when he makes the movie uh, White Chicks. But now Marlon is doing something on his own. He's got a solo stand-up special on Netflix. He's got another one about to come out. Marlon's on a North American tour right now. Uh, he came on and talked to us just ahead of his stop in Vancouver for Just for Laughs. But Marlon Williams and I talk about a lot of stuff here. What's it like growing up in a family where everyone is literally a professional comedian? How was In Living Color created as this alternative to Saturday Night Live? How do you handle it when your work makes a bunch of money at the box office, but pretty much every critic hates it? What's it like to do characters for your entire life and then finally stand on stage just as yourself? But we started out by asking Marlon Wayne something pretty simple. Was he a funny kid? I was hilarious. I was a way funnier of a kid than I was, am as an adult. Because I had no, well, I wouldn't say that. That's not fair. I had the matrix. My brothers knew I had the matrix to become a great comedian. Because I, I had no filter. I had no worries. I did not care. I instinctively... Uh, was just naturally funny. Like I could do characters and I was physical and had all these gifts. And for the life of us, we didn't know where it came from. But it's just, I was kind of just born with the, these gifts. And um, so I don't know why. I think it's weird. It took me so long to actually start doing stand up in the first place. That's something out of all of us, I'd have been like most likely to out of any class I've ever been to. From high school, from 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 kindergarten, preschool to actually from kindergarten, kindergarten to college, I'd have been most likely to be a comedian. But see, some of these rappers be rhyming like they're 25 years old. I'm like, hold on a second. You 50. I want some age-appropriate rhymes from you. You better give me some middle-aged crisis rhymes. <laughs> these young rappers think I'm a sweetie. Nah, sugar high. Diabetes. <laughs> yeah, um, I've always was funny. I don't know how. I always saw the world in a funny way. I always wanted to make people laugh. I was so funny that in school, one time I had the, the chicken pox, and I was gone for like two weeks. And when I came back to class, I got a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> they missed me that much. They missed my jokes. Did you did you have any sense of it being like a job? Like, were there comedians you looked up to? 
Um, you know, I, I've always loved Richard Pryor. I've always loved Eddie Murphy. I've always um, loved, like, you know, guys like Chris Rock. Oh, man, drug dealers don't sell drugs. Drugs sell themselves. It's crack. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not a vacuum cleaner. You don't really got to try to sell crack, okay? I never heard a crack dealer go, man, how am I going to get rid of all this crack? Guys, was brilliant. And so, you know, for me, that... that that was what I always wanted to to do in comedy. And besides them, I was really lucky because, you know, I, I'm, I grew up in a house with legends. Yeah. I grew up in a house with my heroes. Bro, I had Damon Wayans, Keenan Wayans, Tim Wayans, and Sean Wayans are my siblings. I could ask them advice. I could t- talk to them about jokes. I could just go to their sets and watch them. Damien used to take us to his shows and watch him create characters and do stand up and just be so fearless and and, and right on the stage. Like you know, it, nobody understands like the skill set that we acquired at such a young age. Nobody, even Hollywood, doesn't understand it. Like I'm so skilled right now, and at fifty. Like, I really am looking forward to these next, you know, this next, the second half, because it, it's, it's the stuff that I'm going to create is going to be timeless and beautiful. And the world needs comedy right now. And I, just, I can't wait. I can't wait. When do you realize that you and your brothers could not just be funny together, but be funny together and like work together? Um, you know what I mean by that? Like, it's one thing to be funny together, but like the, the, the business of it is an interesting thing too, right? Like when do you figure that? Well, that like- we always had a hard time getting everybody on board. I mean, and Living Color showed us that we all could do it, but it also showed us that we all have different um, timing on success and we all have different wants and needs and levels of success. And so I think you can still come together even now. I think in Living Color proved that for us. And then when we went off into our little pockets, like me and Sean started working again on Wayans Brothers, um, it's like the Avengers, like come together, do stuff together, and then break apart and be heroes on our own. When you when you mentioned a living color there, it's funny. I was just talking to, you know, it's like 20 minutes before I talked to you, I just talked to Pam Greer. And we Pam were talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we oh, were. She, you said Pam Greer. Yeah. We worked together. She did Wayans Brothers. She uh, She had great things to say about you. And yeah, she was a sweetheart. It was it was wild to talk to her, and she was. I was asking her this question. I was like, "Did you have any idea that the stuff you were making around, like you know, uh, Foxy Brown and coffee? Did you have any idea that this was like groundbreaking work at at the time?" And I wanted to put that to you too. Like, like the story of In Living Color, as far as I know it, you know, I'm gonna say whatever Pam Greer said. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna tell you what she said. Um, in Living Color, you know, it's it's this show that features predominantly black cast members. You know, it was. Uh, at the time, Saturday Night Live was was mostly white. That was sort of the genesis, right? Like, did it feel like what you guys were doing was was groundbreaking at the time? Mm. Absolutely. We were doing humor that hadn't been on television from a, a, a perspective and a point of view that the world had never really em- embraced. And it was our family humor. Ms. Jenkins is a sterling example of a human being. Mm, 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 mm. Hey, Ms. Jenkins. 
She is something else, honey. Just don't let her take her shoes off in your apartment. Feet smell like a dill pickle. You could take a name. You could take the project. Without my family behind it, you can't continue to execute what we create because only God gave us that ability. You can't steal it. You can't fabricate it. And the audience at a point will go, yeah, it's the same name, but that don't taste like Wayans. Yeah. You know? So we, I knew it was groundbreaking. I wasn't even on the show yet. Man, I saw Damon do this sketch called Oppression. And it was a takeoff on um, Calvin Klein's obsession commercials. And, but it was about for black people. And he was coming from a slave's point of view. If living with oppression is a sin, then I'll be guilty. Oppression for black men. If only he wasn't so dark. And it was just so hilarious. And then when I saw the men on film and Keenan doing Mike Tyson on Dating Day. What about you, Mike? What did you think of Robin? Oh, well, Chuck, when I first saw Robin, I was ecstatic. She had, this, she had this really tight dress on, you know, the kind with the push-up bra, and her breasts were, like, popping right out, like, hitting right in the eye, you know? And as soon as I saw him, Chuck, I said, wow, I'm in love, you know? You understand? Know I was talking about this show when I, I think it was high school when we filmed the pilot. By the time I got to college, I was telling my friends, and they was like, get out of here. And when that show came on, everybody in my college used to stop what they were doing run to their dorms and watch in living color. Everything would stop. I was at Howard University. TV never saw nothing like that. You know, when we, when we started doing it in movies, movies and scary movie was huge. Can I tell you a secret? Sure, man. I see dead people. Man, this shit is awesome. <laughs> Don't be a menace. People was like, are you kidding me? A, a, a parody of, 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 of hood movies? Quick fashion question. Should I wear District 9 with the high tops? Mm-hmm. Or should I wear this Uzi with my low tops? Mm-hmm. We just, we just always been different, man. And we, we knew, and we still feel like, I know I have at least... 30 hits and then in my head, right? And as I create them, I know them. I don't have to question it no more. You know it, right? It's the same reason why I do a special now every year. Why am I going to sit on material and rehearse it for five years? For what? I want to drop a special every year yeah. or every year and a half for people to go like, wow, this dude, you know, I'm not talking about a bad one. But I want to drop great specials like albums like once a year yeah. and that's what I'm going to do and I've learned that I can do it my last special Chris Rock the one I did for uh, the God Loves Me this man sat there at the front of the stage and heckled me my entire set come on where the jokes at I thought you were supposed to be the Wayne which one are you pedo Oh, that's right, you marlin. <laughs> and that was in one year, I dropped the special, which is not heard of. And and so for me, 
yeah, I, your instincts, our instincts are very sharp right now. Yeah. Yeah. And my new special, same thing, God Loves Me, is about my dealing with the death of my parents. You know, it happened, and immediately I was like, what's funny about this? And when I did that, I was able to create a beautiful special that's going to be released on Mother's Day. I can't tell you the platform. Um, and that was a year after I did God Loves Me. So um, I, I'm just in this space, you know, so, Outliers is a book, Malcolm Gladwell. He says you you, you do 10,000 hours of anything, you become great. I have 10,000 hours in five different disciplines when it comes to my career. Me, Sean, Keenan, Damon, and my sister Kim collectively, you know, we each have 10,000 hours long in five different disciplines. And so when you talk about that kind of expertise, you know, yeah, it's easier for us to create projects because we've we've created molds. We, we we know the designs, we know the structure, and we know our voices, and we know character, and we know the matrix. And so, yeah, we know when it's special. We yeah. never try to put out anything that was mediocre. You know, even in failure, you can still you can always see the effort. We never just walked in and took a check. That's not what Wayans is doing. We go in and we do the work. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Marlon Wayans. You might know Marlon from movies like A Scary Movie or, or White Chicks or TV shows like In Living Color. And now he's doing a lot of stand-up. Before we get deeper into this conversation about his stand-up, we spent some time talking about that long career in, in movies and TV. Here's the thing about Marlon's films, and it's a sensitive thing to talk about. There's – how do I put this? There's often a, a big divide between how people – who buy tickets for his films, feel about his films, and the way that critics feel about them. So I, I asked him what he thought about that. Okay, so you, you, meant, you mentioned Don't Be a Menace and you mentioned Scary Movie. as the And you were like, we were aware that this was groundbreaking. We were sharp. We know, like, we don't miss. Like, we're sharp. But I feel like you guys were an early version of a big conversation that's happening in, in Hollywood right now, which is like the... Like right now we have Rotten Tomatoes, so you can see like critic score versus audience score. But back in your time, it was like box office, like people were coming out to see these movies, especially like scary movie, like just renting it, like buying it the hell out of it. And and it, it had it been Rotten Tomatoes, the critical score would have been low. Like what no, do you the credits the the critic store scores were always low. I mean, when my kids look at the critic scores on white chicks, they can't believe themselves. They're like, are you kidding me? It got two stars? Wow. Why would that? And I was like, listen, comedy is subjective. You can't ask a group of intellects. And uh, a, a critic's job is to critique. And they, they, they humor is something that you can't teach. And it's subjective. What makes some people laugh ain't going to make other people laugh. You know, it, 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 we come from a different angle. Sometimes it takes years for them to even get the joke. The jokes fly by um, because they're just not in the space to embrace that. And they can't look at, you know, some scatological humor as funny. Um, uh, things that feel uncomfortable. Should I laugh at that? You know, uh, and so I give I give the critics grace. Um, there was a time I was I was more upset, angry. I didn't understand why I, 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 I even even went as far as to be like they're racist. Um, but I, I've learned to give them grace because comedy is a 
you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough art. And not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to get your joke. I know from doing stand-up every night, comedy is not to be judged, it's to be experienced, right? It's not, you have to be willing to want to go into a place and laugh. When you go see a Wayans movie, you have to be willing to take a joke. You have to be willing to watch other people take jokes because we're equal opportunity offenders. And you got to be willing to be a kid again and just laugh. And then you'll enjoy yourself. If not... Maybe Wayne's movies ain't for you. But you also must have been like, hey, we shot this thing for $19 million and it made $278 million. You must have been like, well, you know, they can give me the two stars for all I care, you know? Well, there was never that level of like, we, that, that was a place we settled to. We, we, it was a place of comfort for us. So that's what we, we learned to just, that was the mentality. All right, well, you know, we, we're making an audience laugh and that's what's important. Our movies survived three, four generations. You know, I did Don't Be a Menace. We did that back in 1990. Yeah. It's 2024 and people are still coming up to me like, I love that movie. Well, Kids, that's my favorite movie. I got to tell you this story, man. So we were on our way, I was on my way into this interview and I was talking to one of our producers on the show. So she's 28 and she said, you're talking to Marlon Wayans? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking to Marlon Wayans. She was like, oh my God. And you know what? You should ask him. <laughs> I said, okay, what, you know, what do you think? She was like, I love Scary Movie. Shorty was my, my favorite character. You know that scene where they're saying what's up to the, to the ghost? What's up? What's up? <laughs> Who's that? Yo, pick up the phone. What's up? What's up? You should ask him where that came from. I'm so curious about where that came from. And I said it was a it was a beer commercial. It was like a parody of a of a, a beer, beer of a beer commercial. So she didn't know the beer commercial. She had never yeah. heard of the WhatsApp beer commercial. And she was tw- she's 28. Was she born when this? Oh, yeah, she was like a kid when that movie came out. And These she kids. and she was talking to me about like <laughs> that was the funniest. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's crazy. And and what's great is she never saw the commercial. Yeah. Yet yet you can still laugh. And that was. That's what we, you know, pride ourselves on. My brother always always tell us, "Let's not. It's not about, you know, uh, uh, pop cultural reference the movie. What's funny about it? If you can't, if you don't know the reference, will you still laugh? And that's when you really know a joke is funny, right? So you got to make sure that it relates and that it comes naturally and organically through the character, and it's not just about a, a pop cultural reference because one day people aren't going to know that pop cultural reference, period. But they will know the characters that's exp- that are, are telling this story. Yeah, yeah. And that, like, that's, that's case in point right there. Like, what do you remember? This last, last question on Scary Movie, but only because it's a really, I mean, I'm 36. Like, that was a really important movie to my generation. Um, what do you remember? Tell me something about creating that character of Shorty. Like, tell me some kind of story about that. Because like, that character is kind of so iconic. Shorty was a, a character that's always been like a strength of mine. Right, big, broad, wild, ridiculous character has always been a strength of mine. Right? Ever since I was a kid, I don't know why. So, Shorty was based on a friend of mine. The press only wants to interview the most ignorant person they can find. I'm on TV. Oh shit. First cops now this. Oh man, I'm be a star, son. A real guy named Shorty, and so and I did it, and he actually wanted to sue me. <laughs> He's like, son, I'm suing you for character defecation. I was like, it's defamation. He goes, no, son, it's defecation because you pooed all over me, son. 
And he didn't even see the movie. And then he finally saw the movie and he was like, oh, son, I love that movie, son. I love your depiction of me, son. I'm going to win a Grammy for that. He just thought that was the funniest thing. And, and basically he was a weed head and I was never big on smoking weed. I just hung out with a lot of weed heads and just watched them when they were high. But Shorty um, was a real dude. And, and I don't know, he just fit so perfectly in that, that structure and that kind of movie to have this kind of character that can, you know, uh, tell the stories through a different perspective. So, so here's my, here's my question about your stand up, given everything you just told me so far, what you just said is really interesting. You said, I'm, I've always been really great at characters. I've always been really good at playing characters and creating characters. But when you do stand-up the way you do it, and I would imagine especially when you first started doing it, you're by yourself. You're not up there playing a character. You're being yourself. And everything you just said to me, like I'm getting up there and talking about trauma. I'm getting up there and talking about my own life. You're not hiding behind I don't know if that's the right word, but you're not hiding behind a, a, a character. Okay. How, right. how is that for you? Does it feel different? It, was it uncomfortable at first to get a bit more vulnerable that way? Um, yeah, it's a, there's a learning curve, man. You know, yeah, I had to spend like 10,000 hours. I had to do my time. You know, I, I had to do my time. I had to go on stage every night. I had like a journeyman in, you know, in these smoky, rinky-dink bars, pizza shops, uh, coffee shops, uh, poetry, poetry reads. I, I, I did whatever I had to do to be where I had to be, where there was a stage so I can grow. You know, but and, a lot of people um, wouldn't do it because they're already famous. They're like, hey, I'm, you oh, know. they thought people thought I was crazy. All my friends, like my friends, my generation that I came up with, you know, I'm like, the, they're like, I, when I came in the, these little rinky dink comedy clubs, they're like, yo, what are you doing here? It's like, bro, you have scary movie out. You have like a billion dollars of boxer. Why are you in these clubs? And why are you waiting to go up last? Why aren't you bumping us? And I was like, because if I was a regular dude, I wouldn't be able to bump you. Right. And you guys need this stage time to get where I'm at outside of this room. So I'm going to come with respect and I'm going to earn my stripes doing this. And I, I and, and, and that's what I did. And I, I got, I made a lot of friends doing that and they respected the fact that I was just getting up on stage and I wasn't afraid and I, to bomb. I wasn't afraid to tell truth. I wasn't afraid to have silence. You know, I, I, I understood the journey. And now, and part of me doing stand-up was because I've been a star for a long time. And I feel like I'm, I'm thirsting for superstardom. Like, these are my years. Uh, it took me a long time to, to get old enough, to be believable enough, to not only be funny, but to turn it, t- tone it down and be charming. Um, I, I want to get the girl. I want to save the day and I want to kick some ass. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's where I'm at right now. And I think stand up has allowed me the ability to articulate all of that in a funny way and still be absolutely raw, crazy and hilarious. I tell you, the vibe I, you get when you talk to Marlon Wayans is uh, restlessness. Like, there's a deep restlessness about him. He's always trying to do something, something else. More of my conversation with the comedian Marlon Wayans coming up later in the show. He'll talk about finding 
something funny at the heart of the death of his parents, and his theory on why the best dramatic actors are actually comedians. More with Marlon Wayans after this. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans is part of the Wayans family dynasty of comedians. His brothers, uh, Keenan Ivory Wayans, Sean and Damon Wayans, and his sister, Kim Wayans, all groundbreaking comedians. You might know their work from the TV show In Living Color. You might know their work from movies like Scary Movie, Don't Be a Menace, or, or White Chicks. Marlon is regarded as one of the greatest sketch comedians of our time, but that means you rarely get to see him as him. Like when we got when we got Marlon Wayans on the line, I realized I've watched so many of his movies, but I had absolutely no idea what he was like. And in the last few years, Marlon's been on stage as himself, not as a character, talking a lot about losing dozens of, of loved ones in his life, including his parents, and how he found something strangely funny about that. Like I think if you have ever actually lost someone close to you, like you know how devastating that can be. You also laugh a lot more than you thought you would. Marlon Wayans and I talk a little bit about that. Take a listen. I mean, it's just the way I look at life. It's, it's the way comedians, real comedians look at life. That's how we process our pain. And it comes in and we don't like it. It feels uncomfortable. So we immediately go, okay, what's funny about this? And then once we go, what's funny about it, we throw away what hurts about it. Or we actually store it. In this little place, I store it, right? I don't take all the lemon and, and squeeze out the juice and throw it away. I store it. You store the because hurt I'm gonna need, or you store I'm the... Gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm going to store the pain right. because I'm also an actor. And I'm going to need to open up that vault when I do dramas. And I need, I need to pull from that pain that I didn't deal with because I'm so busy going, what's funny, trying to run from the pain, that I actually get to sit in the pain when I do a drama and really go in. So uh, it's just the way we process life. That's why comedians are great actors, right? You don't find a lot of great actors that are really funny. That, that's uh, that's the, the beauty of comedy. It stems from tra- tragedy and vulnerability. Yes. Like Sandler is a great actor. I have so much strength in me, you have no idea. I have a love in my life. It makes me stronger than anything you can imagine. Like, I don't think anyone was expecting yeah. that. I don't think anyone was expecting Sandler to be such a great dramatic actor. But now that you mentioned like that, maybe it makes more sense. I knew he was going to be. I think him, Eddie. Yeah, um, Eddie. My brother Damon. Yeah. Um, uh, Robin Williams. Yeah. Like, Jim Carrey, myself. Like, you know, that's those are the guys I want to be like. Those are the guys that I, I, I that's the skill set I have. Were you on in Living Color same time as like pre-fame Jim Carrey? Mm-hmm. What was he like? What was I? I've, I've interviewed him a couple of times. What was he like back then? Jim was always great. Yeah, it was always great. Yeah, 
he used to make us laugh, man. Me and, me and Sean were young. And we saw all these characters. When we asked him to do something, he just did it. Fire Marshal Bill, are you okay? <laughs> are you joking? I've been hit by lightning 19 times. That's horrible. Not really. I'm starting to enjoy it. Jim's always going to be the white Wayans. You know, we, we love that man. We loved everybody on that show. Everybody's always going to be family to us. And that was a very special time. And Jim, Keenan would tell you, Keenan only picked superstars on that show. Yeah. Yeah. Like you was picked on In Living Colors because Keenan believed you were a superstar. And Damon believed you were a superstar. My brother Damon was Keenan's right-hand man. And Damon was a superstar. Kim was a superstar. David. Uh, it's a shame. All those people on that show, Hollywood should have bet on. Yeah. And yeah. they would have made a lot of money because yeah. those are a talented group of people. Uh, looking back now, I mean, talking, I mean, maybe this is a good way to go off in the last minute we have here. But like in terms of like, I mean, you, you just talked me through so much from the very beginning to the to the massive movie success to really like, I really love the story about you really finding yourself through. Because you nosy, and, damn it. You keep asking these questions. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm Longest interview ever. I'm professionally nosy. <laughs> what what you want to know, my blood type? <laughs> <laughs> what do you... Uh, it's only it's only HS one. <laughs> <laughs> Postal code though, zip code. Give me that. Uh, what's uh, uh, what, looking back on this career you've had so far? What are you what are you most proud of? I'm still doing it, and I'm still doing it with joy. And that my parents were able to see the beginnings of of our family, you know, and 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 see their dreams come to fruition because every parent wants the best for their children. And so uh, I'm proud that I made my parents proud. And I still know I have so much more to do and so, so, much, so much further I'm going to go. Um, and now it's time to really make myself proud. But I'm proud that I still love it. I'm proud that my kids want to do this. I'm proud that we make this look fun. I'm proud that we make the audience. There's so much. I'm a very grateful man. I'm I'm hungry. I'm always going to be hungry. There's so much more I want. There's so much more we deserve. And we're going to get those things. You know, but I'm very uh, appreciative and very grateful to God that he gave me such a beautiful family, such a great point of view and uh, perspective of life that I, no matter what I go through, I find the funny and I'm grateful for the lessons and it's nothing's happening to me. Everything's happening for me, and I'm I'm just grateful to be Marlon Wayans. Man, I, I wouldn't want to be anybody else, except maybe uh, Damon Wayans. But other than that, <laughs> Mar- uh, Marlon Wayans, thanks thanks for making the time. Good luck in the in the run in Canada. Thank you, brother. Peace. I haven't been called nosy in a while. I tell you that much. Love. I didn't know I'd ever be called nosy again doing an interview. I thought I was professionally professionally nosy thanks so much to marlon wayne's for coming on the show uh marlon's on tour right now throughout the u.s he has a stand-up special on netflix and another one coming as he put it to me on a yet to be announced streamer the other conversation we have up today is with kablusiak who is the recipient of one of the most prestigious visual arts awards in canada the sobe art award it's it's certainly the most prestigious award given to a young artist in canada and they will be here to talk about making soapstone sculptures of a pack of cigarettes. They'll talk about how coming from Northwest Territories and living in Calgary is kind of like living in purgatory. And my favorite part, my favorite part is they talk about how, you know, I I asked them, you know, being an Inuk artist, and how do you feel about your 
work being in this, you know, very colonial institution like the National Gallery of Canada. And they say, it feels like being a spy. And they'll tell you what they mean. Okay, check that out wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.